Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Perringer. We want to get into God's Word this morning, and I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Job. And we are going to be uh, looking at uh, different verses in the area of Job chapters 38 uh, through 42. So we'll be uh, jumping around a little bit uh, this morning, uh, but please turn to the book of Job. You know, sometimes when you have kids and you start confronting them about something, you know, they start getting an attitude with you, and it, sometimes it comes from an inflated sense of self-importance. You know, they think that they deserve this or that they deserve that, and they become very uh, demanding. And one of the responses you might give to them is, who do you think you are? Of course, you know, such an interaction isn't just with your kids. It's not restricted to just kids. Maybe you have coworkers or something out in the workforce that you have to deal with, and they, ha- and they show attitude, and they have this inflated sense of self-importance. They become very arrogant and very demanding, and you might ask them the same question. Who do you think you are? Well, you know what? Sometimes we ourselves have that same uh, ego. We think that uh, because of who we think that we are, uh, you know, this person or that person owes us this or that. And, you know, we think we're deserving of some sort of special treatment. And we might need to hear that question for ourselves. I mean, who do you think you are? Well, you know, we're looking in the book of Job, and the book of Job is a very interesting book. At the beginning of the book, you uh, see this interaction between God and Satan, and God, uh, he's the one that brings up the subject of the person of Job, and he brings him up as an example of someone who is upright and who loves God. Well, Satan challenges this notion, and, you know, he says to God, well, you know, Job only loves you because you've blessed him tremendously. Well, in order to prove Satan wrong, God allows Satan to take away Job's wealth and Job's children and then eventually take away Job's health. And, uh, you know, the vast majority of the book is Job's friend and Job sort of philosophizing about Job's situation. And for the most part, all of them get a whole lot of it wrong. But to focus in on Job's part and his argument and his philosophizing, you know, Job has this inflated sense of self-importance. He thinks that he deserves to have an audience with God in order to plead his case. And he figures that once, you know, once he's done that, he's going to be able to show God that somehow God is in error for treating Job the way that uh, he seemingly did, even though it was Satan, not God. And, you know, once Job is able to argue his case, God would then choose to immediately restore him uh, because he's been so wrongfully and shamefully treated. Well, after listening to Job and his friends give these terrible arguments, it seems like God has had enough, and he makes an appearance to Job in a whirlwind. And here, God confronts Job about his attitude and his approach toward and his ideas about God. And God shows himself more mighty and holy than Job could ever have imagined. And he shows Job to be less prominent in him, you know, than Job thinks himself to be. And what we learn is that quite often, our inflated cell sense 
of self-importance, it blinds us to the truths about God and about ourselves. And so we often approach God wrong. And we think about God wrong. We actually might think that God owes us something. You know, we might think that God owes us an explanation for what's going on in our life. We might think that God owes us health or wealth or whatever. And to that, God asks the question, who do you think you are? Well, I hope today that I can lead you to have a proper perspective of yourself so that you approach God rightly and that the right attitudes and ideas about God are reflected in the way that you live in your conduct. And so God begins by demonstrating something to Job. So number one, God demonstrates to Job humanity's limitations. Humanity's limitations. God starts to bombard Job with a bunch of questions that ought to demonstrate what little Job and other humans really can do. We think we can do a lot, and God's like, no, not really. Humans are much more limited than they think they are. But because they refuse to recognize these limitations, they think of themselves more highly than they ought. So through these questions that God throws at Job, he's showing Job exactly where humanity's limitations lie. And so these are found in, in, in different passages of these chapters. And so he begins first by showing that humans are limited in understanding. They are limited in understanding. And I want to read in Job chapter 38, verses 1 through 11. And this is what is written in Job 38, 1 through 11. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb, when I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band, and prescribed limits for it, and set bars and doors, and said, Thus far shall you come, and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. God begins, you know, this, this section with, Who is this that darkens counsel? Or maybe another way of putting it is, who do you think you are? And he tells Job to dress for action like a man. I mean, it literally says, and some of your translations might say, gird your loins. You know, we might say, tighten your belt. Get ready for what God is about to throw at you. And so God, he, he starts his questions grilling Job. And God's first set of questions have the purpose of showing Job that he doesn't understand things like he thinks he understands them. Job has opened his mouth and talked about things that he has no knowledge about. God asks him questions like if Job understands how the universe was made or how the earth came into being, what the measurements of the universe are, what everything is founded upon, or even something as simple as how the land and sea know where their borders are. 
you know, through scientific advancements, we might have a better idea than Job about how some of these things might work. But if we're honest, there's a whole lot more that we don't know than we actually do know. And so God, in essence, says, Job, you don't even understand how the universe works, so how do you think you're going to come to understand the way that I run the ways of human affairs in the world? God is trying to show Job the contrast between Job's lack of understanding and God's infinite and perfect understanding of all things. You know, Job thought he had a pretty good grasp on how things work and how things ought to work. So he figured that he would help God out by gaining an audience with God and tell God how things ought to be run. You know, picture that. Job, a human being telling God how to do his job. And we kind of chuckle at that. You know, we think that's an, obviously an absurd an idea. Yet how many times do we get an attitude and we think we know better than God how things ought to go in our lives or in the world. You know, kind of a image for me or picture for me is this. It would be like me going into Redstone Arsenal and I start telling all of you rocket scientists how to do your job. Now, you know, I might have a basic understanding of math and science, even though that's questionable, but I have no real understanding of the physics of it all. Who would I be to tell you how to do things when I really and truly do not understand the depth and complexities of it all? And yet here's Job who thought he knew enough to tell God how things ought to be done. And God tells him through these questions that Job has no understanding on how things are really run. But we're blessed because we know and we have a relationship with the one who does understand, with the one who knows how things go. We don't understand as much as we think we understand. You know, the Apostle Paul, he understood his own lack of understanding. And he understood God's infinite understanding when he wrote this in Romans 11, verses 33 through 34. He said, oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? You know, the depths of what God knows and what we don't know is staggering. So we have to be careful not to darken counsel by words without knowledge. That's one area of limitation. But there's another area of limitation. We humans are limited in control. We are limited in control. Now, I want to stay in Job chapter 38, and now I want you to kind of go down and find chapter 30, uh, t uh, verse 25, and I want to read verses 25 through 38. So in jo Job chapter 38, verse 25 and onward, this is what God says to Job and asking more of these questions. He says, who has cleft a channel for the torrents of rain and a way for the thunderbolt to bring rain on a land where no man is, on, a, on the desert in which there is no man, to satisfy the waste and desolate land and to make the ground sprout with grass? 
Has the rain a father? Or who has begotten the drops of dew? From whose womb did the ice come forth? And who has given birth to the frost of heaven? The waters, they, they become hard like stone and the face of the deep is frozen. Can you bind the chains of the Pallades or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth the Mazareth in their season or can you guide the bear with its children? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you establish their rule on the earth? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth lightnings that you may go and say that they may go and say to you, "Here we are." Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? Who can number the clouds by wisdom or who can tilt the water skins of the heavens when the dust runs into a mass and the clouds stick fast together? You know, we humans, we like to think that we're in control and that we have it all under control, when in reality there's very little that we do control other than our own attitudes and choices. We, we don't necessarily have control over our circumstances or other people, and we definitely have no control over God and what he chooses to do in his own purpose and will. Job needed to learn that lesson, so in these verses, God begins to ask Job if he's able to control what we might call the forces of nature. Is Job able to direct the rain? Is Job able to mark the path of a lightning bolt? Can Job make plants grow? Can Job control the temperature? He even asked Job if he's able to control the way that the constellations appear in the sky. Is he able to control the timing of the seasons? And the obvious answer to all of those is, well, no, absolutely not. Again, Job is limited, but it is God who is in control of all of these things. Therefore, if Job cannot control these things, it would be smart to figure out that there are things that happen in life that he has no control over either. So who does Job think he is trying to assume control of something that he has absolutely no control over? You know, Job thinks he can control the way that his life goes because he is a good and righteous man. You know, the, the fact that, God, uh, that Job is good and righteous, it's never contradicted by God. But just because he is that way doesn't mean that, you know, this gives him control over the way that life runs. Being good and righteous does not equate to having a perfect and smooth life. You know, there are people out there, and you might be one of them, that think that, you know what, if I follow all the rules, meaning that, you know, if I'm, cross, if I'm dotting all the I's and I'm crossing all the T's and I'm checking off all the religious boxes, that somehow that means that God is beholden to you just directing your own life, directing your own path, that somehow God allows you to control everything that's going on around you. But that's not how it works. Just because you do right does not mean that you can control and ensure that you know, nothing bad ever happens in your life. You can't control nature. You can't control your circumstances. And you most definitely cannot control God. But here's the thing. You have access and can have a relationship with the one who is in control.
I mean, even the false prophet Balaam understands that God is in control. When he says this in Numbers 23, 19, God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? You know, only God has the control to speak and make things happen. Christ, who is God, you know, he was able to speak and he was able to rebuke the winds and he was able to rebuke the waves. You know, if he's in control of nature, he can control your circumstances as well. The only thing you can control is if you will trust and obey him. So that's another area of limitation. And there's a third area of limitation. Humans are limited in power. Humans are limited in power. Now, I want you to take your Bible and turn to chapter 41. And I want to read verses 1 through 11 in Job chapter 41. And so, God is still continuing his questioning of Job. And in Job 41, beginning in verse 1, this is this particular line of questioning. He asks Job, can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook or press down his tongue with a cord? Can you put a rope in his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he make many pleas to you? Will he speak to you soft words? Will he make a covenant with you to take him for your servant forever? Will you play with him as a bird or will you put him on a leash for your girls? Will traders bargain over him? Will they divide him up among the merchants? Can you fill his skin with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? Lay your hands on him. Remember the battle. You will not do it again. Behold, the hope of a man is false. He is laid low even at the sight of him. No one is so fierce that he dares to stir him up. Who then is he who can stand before me? Who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. You know, God confronts Job with some of the beasts that God created. And in this, this particular passage that we read, God asked Job about Leviathan. Now, there's, there's a lot of controversy about what Leviathan exactly is. And honestly, here and elsewhere in Scripture, if you read the descriptions of Leviathan, it almost sounds like our concept of a dragon. But maybe it was a dinosaur of some sort, or more than likely, in what seems to be kind of the general consensus, is that it's talking about giant crocodiles. But either way, Leviathan was a beast that was massive and powerful. And God confronts Job asking him, does he have the power to contend with the mighty Leviathan? Does he have this power, this strength? Is Job able to subdue Leviathan? Is, is Job able to catch Leviathan with a fish hook? Is he able to hit him with a spear? Can Job put Leviathan on a leash and make him into a pet? No, Job is not able to contend with Leviathan. Job would not win any sort of battle with Leviathan. You know, uh, God says in verse 8 that if Job just laid a hand on Leviathan, Job would never make that mistake again. 
God warns in verse 10 that there is no one who is so fierce that they would dare stir up Leviathan. There is no one who, who would dare to mess with the mighty Leviathan. But then God demonstrates that, you know what, this Leviathan that you have no power over Job, God has complete power over him. God has strength. God is mighty. So if Job can't even contend with the power of Leviathan, why is he trying to contend with the power of God? You know, assuming that Leviathan is a crocodile, I read about the largest crocodile that was ever held in captivity, and it was 20 feet, 3 inches long from snout to tail, and it weighed about 2,300 pounds. I mean, is there any human that you could wrestle with that? Is there any human that would come anywhere near that thing? I mean, humans have no power to deal with such a beast, and that beast is nothing in comparison to God. Do we think that we have the power to wrestle with God uh, and, and overpower him, wrestle with him over the circumstances of our, of our life? Do we think we could have the power to somehow force God to do something? I mean, Job seemed to think that he could force God to give him an audience in order to plead his case. I mean, we have no power to force God to do anything. We have no power to bring about anything in our lives. We are completely and totally dependent upon God. He is the one. He has power over Leviathan. He has power over everything else. He's the only one in power of our circumstances. And so God wanted to make sure that Job and we understood we have limitations. But that leads to Job's response and want us to turn to Job 42 very quickly, uh, the second and last major point of the day. We looked at humanity's limitations. I want to talk about humanity's humiliation now. In Job 42, verses 1 through 6, it says, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. After getting hammered by all these questions from God, now Job finally gets it, and he responds in complete and utter humility. And the funny thing is, not once did God ever explain to Job why things happened the way that they did. God owed Job no explanation, and God doesn't owe anybody any explanation. God doesn't owe anybody anything. And so, you know, getting who God, who finally, you know, having a better understanding of who God is, Job, you know, he gives this response, and, and so there's three responses very quickly, and these should be our responses as well. First, recognize God's power. Recognize God's power. In verse 2, Job confessed that God had the power to do all things and that no purpose of his can be thwarted. He recognized that God has the power to do whatever he pleases. And this means that we humans surrender to him in trust. To the, we, we surrender in trust to this all-powerful God. We recognize he's the one with the power, not us. Secondly, 
hold your tongue. Hold your tongue. In verse 3, Job recognizes that he talked about things that he didn't understand that were way, above, way beyond him, way above him. So it would have been better for him just to keep his mouth shut. You know, too often we speak first and think later, if we ever think at all. We speak before listening and hearing what God says. We are quick to react, but we don't want to hear what God has to say to us through his word. You know, God's thoughts and ways are way above ours, higher than the heavens are above the earth. With our limitation, it would be good for us to listen and to meditate and to ponder on God and his word before we open our mouth, before we open our mouth in complaints, before we open our mouth in murmurings, and open our mouth in boasts like Job would boast. We need to learn to hold our tongue. And then third and finally, we need to seek to truly know God. Seek to truly know God. So Job now gets a fuller picture of God than he had before. He says he has heard God, and in this, this vision, in this whirlwind, he has had, he's seen a portion of God. He's seen a manifestation of God. And so this means Job has received a fuller revelation of God. And now, getting that revelation, he's able to respond to God rightly. You know, so much of our problem is that we just give knee-jerk reactions to situations and we accuse God of things and we assume we know what's going on when we really don't. Instead of wasting our energies and our complaints and temper tantrums, we need to seek to know God better through his word and then we rest in his mercies. And so what Job found out through this interaction with God and what we find out, and we get this fuller revelation of God, we learn that God is good, he is merciful, and we now know that the greatest mercy he has ever shown mankind is the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross and rose again, and that was the greatest demonstration of love that God could show us. And so who do we think we are to question God? No, we may not understand our situation. We may not be able to control our situation. We don't have the power to change things and do things, but we know the one who is. We humans are limited, but we know the unlimited God, and we rest in him. And so maybe you are wrestling with some things, and maybe in some ways you've acted like Job. You've accused God of some things. You think you know better than God. You know how things ought to be run. You haven't done a whole lot of listening. So maybe today you want to pray and repent about that and accept God for who he is and accept that, you know what, you may never know the why about things that are going on in your life, but you can rest in the one who does know the why as well as all the other questions, he knows the how, and he has the power. He's the who. He has the power to control your life if you would rest in him. But maybe some of you have wrestled with God about how to be saved. Maybe you've argued with God that you think this is the way to heaven. This is the way to approach God, but God has made one way to approach him, and that is through Jesus Christ, and you need to trust in him today. Jesus is the only way. And so after the service today, talk to some of the pastors, talk to some of the members, and they'll, lead, they'll show you the gospel. They'll tell you the gospel. They will lead you 
to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And so I hope this week we get an understanding of our limitations and then we humbly come to the one who is unlimited, who has the power and the control and the understanding and the wisdom for our lives. And we rest in him. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at kidsquest underscore HBC. Our student ministry is on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening, and God bless.